Episode two of Like It Is, and I am so pleased to have a woman who has no issue telling it like it is. She's educated, she's smart, she is talented. The credentials we could go on and on, Christine Brennan, columnist for USA Today, contributor for ABC, CNN, NPR. We could go, literally, I could be here uh, like Tiger Woods announcing your accolades. But look, I admire people who have guts and people who ask the hard questions, and that's certainly what you've done. Throughout your career, when it pertains to that, what are you most proud of? Lisa, it's great to be with you. Thanks so much for having me on uh, your podcast. And um, gosh, uh, you know, I don't, I don't usually stop and, and think or look back. I, I'm having so much fun and, and living the adventure of a lifetime now. And I'm so lucky to be able to still be doing this uh, uh, all these years into my career, just, just loving it more today than the day I started. Um, but I guess, uh, of course, I, every now and then I think of, of, often I think of things in the past and, and things that have happened. And I, I guess I would say that being the first president of the Association for Women in Sports Media way, way back in a previous century, 1988 to 1990, and starting the scholarship internship program for AWSM, which we call awesome, uh, starting the scholarship internship program that has awarded uh, scholarships, internships, and uh, and monetary uh, awards to close to 200 women now, and I uh, two of those are are scholarships that I fund in my late parents' names, and and um, I also at my alma mater Northwestern I do a, a ton of mentoring and and also have a couple of fellowships there, and so I, I I would hope just giving back and and if I am a role model or a, can be a mentor, I, I've done a lot of that talking to students. I probably do more talking to students than I do talking to athletes. And that's fine with me, certainly at this stage of my career. So um, just just helping those wonderful young people uh, try to get a foothold and, and get a start in this adventure of a lifetime, as I said, and just hopefully have the career of their dreams as I've had the career of my dreams. So I think that's probably the thing I'm proudest about. Well, you talk about mentoring young people. Unfortunately, I'm nowhere close to student age, but you've been a mentor uh, to me. It's been, I have to say, to be able to, to talk to you and seek your advice and your counsel and your wisdom. Look, I think any woman who's been in this career, in this business, in the sports world, it isn't always easy. But to see somebody like you, I, I recently saw where you were introduced as a trailblazer, and you certainly are. You're still young. You have a lot of time left. And we hope that you continue for a long time because I, for one, love reading your columns. I love the way that you give your opinion and mainly because it's just full of factual education for your readers. And with that being said, you recently wrote a column and I love the fact that you tackled this on the Saudi Arabia issue, the crown prince and the billions and billions of dollars that they are now putting into sports washing, really to cover up this horrible human rights record. How bad is it? Lisa, I think it's it's terrible. And certainly that column you're referring to was the, the latest of many terrible headlines. Um, just tone deaf doesn't even begin to describe it, obviously, but um, PR nightmare also doesn't begin to describe it. But just the absolute cluelessness of um, people like Phil Mickelson and in the case of this particular column that you're referring to, Greg Norman, uh, where, of course, he said, we all make mistakes, sloughing off, of course, 
the dismemberment, uh, murder and dismemberment of Jamal Khashoggi uh, a couple of years ago um, by the man that he's now in business with to um, obviously try to start this Saudi golf league. It, it, I mean, that one was was such a shocking and awful thing for Greg Norman to say that it, I, I dare say the column basically wrote itself. I wrote that that night after coming home from an event and my editor got in touch. I had seen the the, the news alert on, on what Norman said. Um, it is just, it, oh, it's awful. It's awful. You, you One hopes that this whole Saudi thing just, you know, goes away, just blows up, you know, just disappears, however, uh, whatever happens to it. Um, but that, that educated or at least semi smart men, worldly men like Greg Norman and, and Phil Mickelson, uh, they've lived, you would assume that their eyes have been open to the world, uh, would say these things and do these things. Obviously, Phil, several months ago, he apologized, um, but and then has, of course, disappeared. And who knows what his career and what his reputation will be and how he will ever reclaim it, which is terrible and awful because I, I actually kind of liked Phil and I certainly always enjoyed seeing Amy Mickelson. I never would have a meal with them or anything like that, but just as a journalist talking to a golfer mm-hmm. and, and his spouse. Um, and, but yeah, it's, it's just awful. Uh, the arrogance of these men, the, uh, the sense of entitlement um, and, you know, how much money it, it's not enough to make millions and millions in your, in this case, your home country, if it's Phil or, or whoever else, obviously Greg Norman uh, has made millions in the United States, as well as, of course, being from Australia. So, it's it's really, um, uh, you know, as a journalist, I dive in. Um, as a human being, I shake my head, and obviously, I'm going to stay on it, as as many of us are. Uh, I'm certainly not alone on this one. I've been on loan on other topics, maybe in in golf, or one of the very few on a certain subject I have a feeling we'll get to. But uh, in this one, it, there's so many of us and I'm I'm very proud and happy that there are many voices being so critical of Greg Norman and, and Phil Mickelson and anyone else who's uh, trying, as I said, it's blood money, pure and simple. It's just awful and we should scream it from the rooftops. It's reprehensible behavior. And thankfully the game of golf, which hasn't done a great job over the years, of calling out reprehensible behavior in other ways, racism, sexism, misogyny, et cetera. At least this, in this one, uh, we're seeing it. And, and how about Rory McIlroy? I mean, what a gem he continues to be. The voice of reason, such a class act. Yeah. I found him to be that way on other topics as well. And for him just to be the, that voice of reason, thank goodness for him and, and thank goodness for Tiger Woods speaking out and others who have done that. So I'll stay on top of it, Lisa, I promise you. And I know many of my colleagues will as well. I have no doubt. And, and unfortunately, I think, as you mentioned, it's going to continue to be a story. They're not going anywhere. They continue to invest more in sports. Now it's gaming. I mean, literally billions and billions of dollars. I always find it interesting because I tweeted about it last week. And when people make comments and they try to compare it to China, they try to compare it to other regimes in these repressive, oppressive situations. I have my own thoughts on it. I want your thoughts in terms of that seems to be the number one thing that people fight back with is why aren't you calling out China? (laughs) Well, on that one, I think I've got a good answer. I just spent a month, and I, and I know you're not saying that, I, that I'm not. I know you're just asking the general <laughs> question, kind of teeing me up so I can hopefully hit it straight down the fairway. Um, uh, I just spent a month in China, of course, for the, covering the Olympics in uh, February. 
And I think the, the authorities in China hate me. So, I, and I, of course, am thrilled about that. Um, the Russians despise me. I know this because my website, according to my website person, is, is just getting pounded by Russian hackers and Chinese hack, hackers and other whatever they do. And, you know, <laughs> my words bring it on. Um, yeah, in China every day, I was critical, of course, of the way that um, they handled the, the, the horrible way. They handled Peng Shui, the, the tennis player who disappeared, the world's biggest Me Too story ignored critical of the International Olympic Committee, just laid into them quite a few times. Uh, Thomas Bach, uh, not just in USA Today columns, but CNN and ABC, as you alluded to, and others, uh, PBS NewsHour. And um, and just, of course, criticized China every moment I had, every chance I could. Uh, and, and people naturally asked, Lisa, well, then were you censored? Are we worried about that? Well, no, because I'm credentialed with an Olympic credential. And so the International Olympic Committee controlled that. So uh, there was also no dark alley to, be, uh, to get you know, kidnapped from because there were no dark alleys because we were in the bubble and you literally went from your hotel. I had two hotels, CNN Hotel and USA Today Hotel and car service or, or uh, buses that were bubbleized and the main press center and then the figure skating venue or the opening or closing ceremonies. And that's it. That's, that's all you could do. So I felt safe as could be. And I, I feel, of course, completely guarded and uh, honored to have the First Amendment and to have the leadership of the news organizations I work for. And nothing was going to stop me or others from speaking out. So anyone who says, well, oh, that terrible Christine Brennan, she's being critical of Saudi Arabia, but she's not being critical of China. Well, <laughs> yeah, just Google it, folks. And they'll have, you'll have steam coming out of your computer. And uh, my, my track record is pretty darn good on that, even going back to criticizing uh, LeBron James uh, when he d failed miserably to speak out appropriately uh, for the protesters in Hong Kong, uh, protesting, uh, of course, for democracy in the wake of that NBA story with Daryl Morey, and everyone can look that one up. But, uh, oh, no, I, I, I think I'm about as consistent as the day is long, and, and I'm proud of that. Well, since you used the golf metaphor, we'll follow up with it. You did hit it straight down the middle. That was absolutely perfect. From from my experience and my background, obviously being in the in the golf world, and you know, I've covered all sports, but my focus the last several years has been with golf. I, I look at China and like I don't really I don't think that the LPGA will go there this year. I think that there will be certain because of what happened will keep them out. Um, however, Saudi Arabia is actually sponsoring golf events. The government is sponsoring it. They're putting their money into it. China isn't doing that in, in our sport, in the game of golf. You have the Blue Bay LPGA. They're sponsored by companies, not the government. So it's a big difference. But, yes, you're right. And, and you regularly call out everybody, which is why I pay USA Today my, my monthly subscription to be able to read every time you call them out. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, I don't mean to cut you off, but, of course, let's keep in mind the Women's Tennis Association showing the way for everyone by pulling out of China um, over the Peng Shui, um, you know, fiasco and just the horrible way she was treated. So there's an example of a league, um, a tennis circuit, you know, a, an association just doing the right thing, losing money, uh, not an easy decision to make, but the right decision. And that was done by the WTA in, in, at the height of the Peng Shui controversy back in what, November, December. So it leagues can do this. There can be ethics, right? You can actually find wonderful ethical behavior. And for those who might be saying, oh, it's the WTA and this, you know, how can the NBA or the PGA? Well, it's moved the decimal point one way or the other. I mean, are, are ethics for sale? 
the WTA, that was that's a huge amount of money um, that could be potentially lost. And so percentage-wise, that's a and obviously women's tennis is, is does great and and pays the women obviously much better than women's golf does, and um, and that's because of Billie Jean King fighting for it versus no one fighting for it in women's golf, obviously, um, and that uh, terrible history of the way women have been treated in golf. And and so you know, but but going back to this, you know, this is um, the WTA doing that was devastating for their business, and they still did it. Okay, you're up PGA, you're up NBA. How are you going to handle this? And and that's where again, or maybe I shouldn't say PGA, but you're up, you know, um, t- you know, Phil, and you're up Greg Norman and whoever else, what Sergio, Bubba, whoever else is apparently interested in this thing, uh, Lee Westwood. You know, okay, they deserve every question because we've seen an example: the WTA doing it in tennis with China, and literally pulling out their business. And so it really does happen, and um, I think we should remember that. An issue that. I think, actually, I'm surprised it hasn't been exposed more. It hasn't been talked about more, is the LPGA. Now, the LPGA doesn't have direct ties to the Saudi League. It doesn't have direct ties to the Aramco series, which is also funded by the Saudi government. However, the LPGA does have controlling interest now of the LET, and the LET has six Aramco events. I think, Christine, this is about to be a big story. First of all, in golf, a lot of people avoid these stories. It's not being talked about. I haven't heard the LPGA commissioner address it yet. And I don't think that she's addressing it because nobody's asking. I am really curious what this next phase is for the LPGA in terms of their partnership with the LET, these Saudi Arabia events, their players now wearing the Saudi logo. What would your advice be? What, how do you see this playing out for the LPGA? Lisa, you're certainly correct that the media coverage is nowhere near uh, what it should be on the LPGA Tour. And that means coverage. That doesn't mean positive or negative. It means you cover it. And the chips fall where they may. And the stories pop up or you do the reporting and you break a story and that's what you do. Um, So, you know, those who cover the LPGA, I'm sure, of course, we want to see the LPGA do well and succeed. But that's not our job description. Our job description is to report things. And in golf, both men's and women's tours, I mean, um, I encourage everyone to be journalists and not on the take and not taking their free rounds of golf. And uh, that's appalling to me that that happens at the Masters and I guess other places as well. And I think it does affect coverage. We can get into all that if you like, because that's just, you know, again, that's not my background at all. And and it's not the background of journalism. Um, and so I, I think that there is a tendency in the golf world to um, not be the, as tough as uh, journalists as we see, for example, in the Olympic world, not even close. I mean, it's almost different professions. Um, and it, it does appall me when I see that on the golf side. Uh, and the, again, the handouts, the freebies, people on the take, and then they're supposedly covering the sport. And so I say that as a, a prelude to, you know, whether you're covering uh, the LPGA and you want it to succeed, you know, of course, but that doesn't mean if you're a journalist, <laughs> you, you've got to report stories. And I agree with you as much as the LPGA is nowhere near on the financial footing of the PGA tour or any men's tour, um, you know, and, and in terms of sponsorship for even, even older players and senior players and whatever on the men's side, um, you, you do you have ethics or not? I'll go back to the WTA and the WTA just pulling out of China and saying, that's it, over Peng Shui. 
Um, I, I understand that the LPGA has a lot of things to look at, and that bottom line is important. And it's been fighting for years to get tournaments, right, and to fill the schedule and to be worldwide. But um, yeah, they shouldn't be playing in Saudi Arabia, and they shouldn't have Saudi Arabia as a sponsor. Nope. Um, I understand there might be people might say, I haven't done a ton of investigating on this, so I am not the, the greatest expert on this by any means, Lisa, but I will never, ever avoid a question of yours or anyone's, and I'll give my best <laughs> shot at it. Um, find other places to go. And, uh, and I understand, I understand it, it might, it's not necessarily apples to apples, right? Um, but um, be better than that. And follow the example, as I've said now several times, of the Women's Tennis Association, uh, and, and just don't do business with bad people. And, um, you know, what would be interesting moving forward is the next generation. So, you know, we know that your sweet spot for golf and the people, the consumers, whatever, are probably what, 35 to 70 or 75, right? In terms of those watching, mostly white men, right? Watching and buying the products and buying more golf balls and getting new irons and, and uh, you know, a new, um, you know, rescue club and this and that and, you know, golf vacations, whatever, right? Uh, and buying the cars that they see advertised and the financial services they see advertised. What happens when that group moves on, moves through uh, to the next, you know, wherever it's going? And, um, and, uh, and then the, up behind it, of course, comes the teenagers now and the 20-somethings, the ones who are living in a world that we're living in. We're talking this week after the horrific uh, shooting at the uh, elementary school in Texas. And just a week and a half ago, whatever, the, whenever that was, May 14th actually, was the Buffalo shooting and the tragic, you know, horrifying uh, murder of those wonderful people in the grocery store. And on and on it goes. Well, that generation's growing up and uh, we're also, you know, we're just seeing them have a different sense of social justice. That doesn't mean they're all going to gravitate to golf. In fact, many probably won't gravitate to golf because of its inherent uh, sexism and racism over the years. Uh, and also, it's, you know, whatever, country club, et cetera, et cetera. We all know. Uh, and by the way, I love golf. I played it my whole life. But, um, <laughs> you know, what kind of push will that be on entities like the LPGA, like the WTA, like the NBA, like the PGA Tour, like individual golfers who want to go off and do whatever they want to do. Um, the world's going to, I think we're going to see more and more social uh, interaction, social justice, um, uh, social conscience. Um, these young people have grown up with COVID, right? They've grown up um, with Donald Trump as president for four years, uh, the Supreme Court leak on abortion, throw it all in the mix. And People are probably saying, why is she talking about that on a podcast where we're talking sports or ostensibly sports? Because it's all interconnected, folks. And it's one big world out there. And that intersection uh, between you know, the world of sports and, the, and our culture is now a 12-lane superhighway, might be 16-lane superhighway. And so uh, I think the pressure will continue to be put on, on various leagues and whomever uh, who are doing business with, uh, in, in the case of the Saudis murderers and, uh, and obviously just reprehensible uh, leadership from that, from that country. You mentioned a couple different things there. So I'm trying to figure out which way I want to navigate, but I want to start here because you said something to me several months ago that I think is, it really made me ponder. And it was one of the reasons I wanted to start this, Christine. I haven't told you this, but it's, I thought I'd get you on here and tell you this. In fact, last week I had Brittany Lincecum on and she was my first guest and I told her about what you said. 
And look, I, I'm going to say this. And I, when I grew up playing golf, Nancy Lopez was my childhood hero. So I mean, no disrespect to Nancy. I think it's part of her culture. It's the way that she grew up. But you said to me, can you, could I imagine if Billie Jean King had been a golfer and Nancy Lopez had been a tennis player? And I can't tell you how many times I've thought, of, thought about that the last year or so since you said that to me. So I want to turn it around to you. What do you think it would be like? And the important thing to say, as you just said, I love Nancy Lopez. I, I, I have known her for years, as you have described. I, I'm sure you know you know her, have known her for years, and I think she's lovely. And and I, I consider friends. I don't, you know, we're acquaintances, and certainly always um, have had a wonderful conversation and, and time chatting with each other. And I remember when she was on the cover of Sports Illustrated and when she won those uh, five tournaments in a row and the story about her dad. And my dad was so thrilled uh, that this young woman uh, was just coming on, you know, taking the golf world by storm and her, the story about her dad and the, and the whole, of course, the ethnic background. I mean, it's a fantastic. So all kudos to Nancy Lopez. This is not Nancy Lopez bashing. This is, um, I, I guess, a what if. So um, some might take it as we're bashing her. We are not. Um, it's just right. a fact that she and Billie Jean King are very different people. And um, in the world of golf, I understand the sense of just go along to get along, right? Or get along to go along, whichever one it is. When you are getting table scraps and when there are clubs, there are locations where people play the game, quite a few of them, that say no women are allowed uh, I'm, and of course, now in this case, I'm talking about any club, all male clubs that discriminate. Could you imagine a swimming pool in this country that wouldn't allow Katie Ledecky to dive in right now? <laughs> Sounds ridiculous, <laughs> right? Because it's, but that's what yeah. we're talking about. There's still clubs today, right? That won't let a woman, wouldn't let Nancy Lopez drive up the front you know, gate. There's one a few miles from me, Burning Tree, right? Um, but obviously the big one, of course, was Augusta National. And so I understand the mindset of people like Nancy and others who've come after her, who um, there's certainly some real firebrands, obviously, who've come after her. She's not that personality, um, but she's also came from a time when it was you were really a second class citizen as a woman in golf. And so I totally get not speaking out, but that makes Billie Jean King even more remarkable because tennis um, was also, of course, uh, more of a man's world. The um, and Billie Jean when back in, uh, of course, we all think of Bobby Riggs and Billie Jean King, which of course was September 20th, 1973, when Billie Jean King beat Bobby Riggs. A few months earlier, Mother's Day weekend of that same year, Margaret Court, uh, who was then number one women's tennis player, beat Bobby Riggs and lost to him. That was the first of these challenge matches. These, you know, Bobby Riggs doing his thing as the male chauvinist pig and who was very entertaining and playing it up obviously as well. Um, he beat M Margaret Court and Billie Jean King has said to many people, including me, I've obviously interviewed her many times and I know her pretty well. Uh, she said, well, she knew at that point she was gonna have to take on Bobby Riggs and beat him. Um, that's, that's guts, right? That is a, that's, that's courage. That's fortitude. That is, that is taking a whole sport on your back and saying, all right, I'm going to take this guy on pressure galore. And then it was what, five months, uh, four months. And she beat him in the Astrodome and, you know, like the whole nation was watching cause we all had three, you know, we had three channels back then and Howard Cosell was doing the broadcast on ABC and it was just absolutely huge and a hallmark. And, uh, you know, first time I'd ever seen a woman on the stage with a man in anything, a political 
you know, convention, a debate, business leaders, you know, and you know, you didn't see much of anything as a high school kid, but you know, just see Billie Jean on the stage with Bobby Riggs and then beat him. A woman finally, you know, beat a man. It's something extraordinary. Um, and there are a lot of guys out there, maybe some who will listen to this, who will go, oh, that was just phony. It was an exhibition. It wasn't a big deal. And I always say to them, well, maybe to you it wasn't a big deal, but to me it was. And uh, and it was huge. And I every time I see Billy, I say, you know, what you meant to a, a, a young high school, you know, what was I, a sophomore, I guess, in Toledo, Ottawa Hills, Toledo, Ohio, what you meant. And I just trail off and, she, you know, she knows, of course, of course she knows. So Billie Jean King had something in her that was just extraordinary to just fight these battles and to take it on. And of course, she's the one that fought for equal pay. That's why the U.S. Open tennis back in 1973, I think I've got that right, 1973, U.S. Open paid men and women equally. If that was the U.S. Tennis Association making that decision. Can you believe that? In the 1970s, equal pay for men and women in the U.S. Open. Um, it did, Wimbledon did that, I think it was 2007. <laughs> so that's extraordinary. Um, so for me, if you could see a firebrand show up in the world of golf, and say, open up these clubs to women, you're killing your sport, which is what they were doing, which is what now Augusta National has totally understood. And, and Fred Ridley said as much, you know, when I asked him that question at the Masters about taking so long to have women members, and, and you know, he, he said we should have done it sooner. I mean, a huge, huge statement of what a mistake it was. So Billie Jean would have been right for the game of golf, and she would have, it would have been a, a blessing for the game of golf, for the you know, for the sexist uh, uh, leadership of golf to get hit over the head with a frying pan um, 40 years earlier, whatever, 50 years earlier. And, but that didn't happen. And so I think part of it is, Lisa, they're products of their environment. So Nancy was a product and is a product of the environment of golf where you didn't rock the boat. And Billie Jean also could have chosen not to rock the boat, but she of course, her personality and everything inside of her said, I'm going to rock the boat. I'm going to, going to fight for equal pay. We're going to strike until we get, you know, they had the, the great picture of them holding up dollar bills as now we're professional athletes. And you see the incredible money that women tend often at the end of the year, a woman's tennis player will have made more than a male tennis player. Number one on the women's tour, number one on the men's tour or equal, almost equal. And of course, there's nowhere near like that in golf. I think there's another huge thing that has to be mentioned. And that is that the majors, the Grand Slam tournaments are played in the same place for tennis, yeah. of course. The men and the women are together at, of course, Wimbledon, U.S. Open, Australian Open, French uh, and Roland Garros. And, um, and that, it will, of course, that's been that way for a long, long time. While the men were getting the attention and the women were getting, you know, that's that's great. Well, all of a sudden, here comes Billie Jean King. Here comes Chris Everett. You've got great American stars. They're winning. Tracy Austin, on and on it goes. Martina Navratilova, uh, her story is credible and, of course, then becomes a U.S. citizen. So for a U.S. audience, the women are now taking charge. They're winning. And everyone's sitting watching Wimbledon on you know, breakfast at Wimbledon on, on Fourth of July weekend. And and so it has that way. It has that chance to grow. Whereas, of course, in golf, as you well know, the major tournaments for men and women are not in the same place. Uh, obviously, there's the, the case of Pinehurst a few years ago, but that wasn't happening at the same time. And so what you had, and this is kind of an inside journalism thing, what you would have had well before I started in the business, you know, like in the 
in the sixties or seventies again, you know, well, well before I got into the business, but you would have had curmudgeonly, you know, male sports writers. And I'm just kind of making this up, but I think we can imagine this would have been the case covering the U S open tennis or Wimbledon or whatever. And the sports editor saying, well, go and cover Billie Jean King or go write about Chris Everett, maybe before Chris Everett was Chris Everett. Right. Well, he, that sports writer who might've been like, I don't want to cover women sports, what, he's in London, right? Covering Wimbledon. You're going to cover that, right? So you it, the, just by the proximity, just the, the geography forced forced that to be covered in newspapers around the country and around the world. And in golf, you could easily have those same guys, mis- misogynistic guys, sports writers, again, different era, not today's guys. Um, but you could have them saying, well, I'm not going to cover. In fact, I know I, I heard it in their voice. I heard them tell me this even in the 90s. I, you know, I'm not covering the women's U.S. Open as we're standing at the men's U.S. Open, right? So, so that is all part and parcel, very long answer of this conversation, though, that if Billie Jean King could have crash landed into this world, I think it would have probably been 20, maybe even 30 years ahead. And it would have been the best thing to happen to golf, because as we know, both know now, golf is scrambling like crazy. What's your biggest growth industry? What's your untapped market? Women. And what have you done for generations? You've put up a stop sign saying, don't come here. Do not even consider playing golf. Go find something else. And in the old days, Lisa, they really had no, there were no other choices. I became, my dad made sure his daughters as well as his son could play golf. I play a couple times a year. I've never, I can always equip myself well. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not good at all. I don't practice, but I, you know, I can hit the ball and I, and I know exactly what I'm doing out there. Put tennis swimming, et cetera. I've always, um, you know, played those sports. Back in the day, you didn't have any choices. Now, maybe the greatest women's golfer on earth never picked up a golf club and she's playing on the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team because there's so many choices. And moving forward, since I'm on this, you know, on a roll here, you know, what golf, you know, the greatest (laughs) capitalists among us, the, the, that's the leadership of golf, right? the stewards, they're the green jackets and the stewards of the game. Um, I'm talking, of course, about men here almost exclusively. Um, They chose sexism over capitalism because, of course, you'd be selling more golf balls and clubs and clothing and rounds of golf um, if you had said in the, gosh, the 70s, yes, we're going to have, Augusta National is going to have women members in the 70s or 80s. We're going to encourage women to play this game. That would have been the capitalistic decision. I'm a big capitalist. We all are. I, I'm sure you are. And, um, and you know, I'm all for that. That's America. That's our country. And I want everyone to succeed. And so to think about that, that these capitalists chose not to make money. <laughs> they chose to slam the door on 50% of their uh, potential uh, par- participation, uh, participant group, right? Uh, 50% of participants. They said, no, we don't want you. Oh my God, got to be the dumbest business decision on earth. And they did it willingly and they did it for generations because of sexism and misogyny. They didn't want women around them on the golf course, especially on Sunday mornings or Saturday mornings. And look what it's got them now, scrambling like crazy, hoping, hoping, hoping that they can have the demographic um, push um, that to, to uh, keep the sport vital moving into the, you know, the 30s, 40s, and 50s in this country. And I think it's over. I, I think they've already lost most of those women to marathons, half marathons, Pilates, uh, soccer leagues, volleyball leagues, 
uh, so many other options for those women. And those women will have disposable income the rest of their lives and would be great golfers. And instead, yes, some of them, you had a few, but not nowhere near the numbers of half marathons, marathons, uh, all the other things I described and many, many more. So it's a fascinating, I'm just absolutely fascinated by this. Watched it happen. It's like watching a train wreck in slow motion, how golf has so mismanaged its future. (laughs) It always amazes me, Christine. no, I just, yeah, it's a subject that we could probably talk about for hours. And I always wonder who's, who's married. You mentioned Burning Tree. I mean, there are still several all-male clubs in the country. Who's married to somebody who is a member at that golf course? And that's part of what I talk about often are the women who don't stand up, who don't fight for it. And I get that for many women, you mentioned Nancy Lopez. It was part of her upbringing, part of her culture. That's not the culture now. Thankfully, people like Fred Ridley. I do think that he's genuinely trying to change. I know that he has two daughters. I love what he said to you, just the admission of it. And to say, I wish that we would have. I think about what would Augusta National, as much as I appreciate the fact that they have the female amateurs there, what could they do for the LPGA Tour? Unfortunately, I don't think it will ever happen. I hate to be a naysayer. When you look at, and, and look, you recently discussed this, the, the U.S. women's soccer team and their six-year battle for pay quality. You were recently on, on ABC, and, and you, you talked about it. And I loved what you said. You said, look, they bring in they bring in an audience. They're bringing in championships. They're bringing in trophies. You credited the men, the young men, for their willingness to be a part of that, to be a part of the change. Golf is different because there aren't the ratings. There isn't a Tiger Woods. There isn't this. A couple times a year, I make the mistake of going to the – to the official earnings and I I compare, I don't compare one through 10. People always get up in arms. They think that I want equal pay like soccer. Again, I understand the ratings differences and there's always probably going to be the pay disparity because of that. But golf in terms of earnings is kind of like the wealth gap in America. It's getting bigger and bigger and bigger that gap is. And it's not really number one. I mean, you look at Scotty Scheffler, he's won four times this year. But if you go to the top earner on the female side, Jennifer Cupcho, she's made $900,000, which is good. She's won a major. She's done well. You have to go down to number 100 on the PGA Tour money list to get to where she is at 900000 The 100th person has earned $896,000. In this day and age of Me Too, in this day and age of these companies wanting to elevate women, and on the golf side, we have CME, we have KPMG, we have a lot of companies that are stepping up. There's a Walmart Northwest Arkansas championship where the overall purse is $2.3 million. That's like me going into a Walmart and dropping a penny on the ground. What has mm-hmm. to happen in terms of players speaking out, executive leadership at the LPGA to say, look, we're not asking for the world. We're trying to close the gap a little bit. How do you do that in, without the ratings, without the revenue that the PGA Tour has in your opinion? Of course, the first thing I would do, and this is going to have everyone have, you know, running and wailing all the all the guys who happen to be watching us here. So um, I hope they can control their emotion Um, (laughs) uh, is, um, you know, the U.S. Golf Association, USGA is a national governing body. And what we're talking about with soccer, of course, was the national governing body. How many times we heard the commercial for the good of the game, right? USGA. Mm. Um, if it really wanted to do what soccer just did, 
and what tennis did back in the 70s, as I described earlier, U.S. Tennis Association, and what USA Gymnastics does, paying gymnasts equally, what U.S. figure skating has done, Michelle Kwan and her male counterpart, the male counterpart got the exact same prize money as Michelle Kwan, even though she was a far bigger draw. That's an interesting one, isn't it? Uh, for U.S. figure skating. USA Swimming, Caleb Dressel, Katie Ledecky, equal prize money. So first thing the USGA should do is pay the women equal to the men at the U.S. Open. And I've even had former, um, we'll just to protect the identity of this particular person, we'll say former leadership of women's golf in general, argue with me 30 years ago against paying women equally at the U.S. Open. So I've been writing and talking about this for 30 years. And I said to this person, I said, I will just take your, what are on the record comments from you. We'll just take those off the record because if I report, I like you and we have a nice relationship. If I report that on the record right now in USA Today, you will be fired tomorrow. In other words, one of the great leaders of the women's game arguing against equal pay. Now that was in the nineties and it was, I had a big smile on my face as I said, well, I will put this off the record, which like no journalist ever does, right? I'm not looking for a pat on the back. I just thought, well, this is so ridiculous. I can't even imagine you said it. So as a human being, we will, I will not quote you and get you fired or in trouble or whatever it was going to be. Again, I'm not looking for a pat on the back. It just seemed like the right responsible thing for me to do. And and that's one of the reasons I think I've been around so long and and have the relationships I do, even with people who hate me uh, or don't like me uh, or whatever they feel about me. Anyway, um, so that's number one. If you want to be like every other national governing body uh, in the United States, USGA, pay them equally. What the argument is, and that particular person that day in the 90s was telling me this, well, it would skew our money list. And I said, well, then make a percentage of it go to your money. It's already the biggest prize, obviously, prize money. Then maybe don't count all of it toward the money list. I don't know. Figure it out pay equal. Because if you really want to grow the game, and that's the reason, like I mentioned, figure skating a few minutes ago, why did U.S. figure skating decide to pay the top male skater the same as Michelle Kwan when Michelle Kwan was your one of the rock stars of, of all generations in figure skating? Because I was told by the U.S. figure skating's leadership, they wanted to make sure to encourage the boys to be able to continue to skate because they want to have boys skate as well as girls. So if you pay equally, then mom and dad see that your kid could make the same money as Michelle Kwan. So this is where golf has failed miserably, absolutely failed miserably. I'm sure people are just going to, are just like tearing their hair out. What equal pay for the U S open? Yes. It's happening at every other national governing body. Mm -hmm. Golf is lagging behind terribly. Obviously U S soccer just handled this and the golf should do it too. And then figure out the prize money and balance. Um, and you guess what? You're going to have moms and dads look at that prize money and that check and say, honey, put that soccer ball down, put that softball bat down, put that volleyball down, you know, put that lacrosse stick down. We're going to the driving range and you will grow your game in a way that you never would have before, but they don't see it this way. Again, sexism, 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 Lisa, let's just say what it is. Um, because otherwise yeah. it, in 2022, the men and women who run the USGA should have already thought of this and they should be leading this. And Mike Wan, maybe I'll give him a call or talk to him at some point. Why isn't he done it? And it's because again, it's kind of like Nancy Lopez being unable to speak up, right? Even if she wanted to, because table scraps, women get table scraps and that's okay in golf. Uh, and I'm happy to just say, call it what it is. Cause I've covered so many other sports 
and so fortunate to cover all you know the Olympics since 1984. It's just absolute blatant sexism. It's awful, and it should stop. And you're killing your game, folks. And I love your game. I love golf. I don't hate golf. I love golf. Um, as far as the then the uh, free enterprise side, right? The which is not what we're talking about with the USGA. That's a nonprofit. Um, that all those NGBs are nonprofits. So now the LPGA, the PGA, um, that is business. And so I am, you know, I would hope that more more companies would want to get involved. ProMedica, actually headquartered in my hometown of Toledo, is now going to be the presenting sponsor of the U.S. Women's Open. That's a very big deal. And that's a new thing for the USGA. So, you know, I think I'm hopeful. I'm very much a glass half full person, not half empty. Um, I'm very optimistic about everything. And I'm hopeful over the next 10 to 15 years, as women are running the country, as more women run for president, more women in the Senate, House, et cetera, more women coaching women, um, you know, leading in all ways, running universities, more and more women in the C-suite, all of whom have played sports because of Title IX. Um, I'm hopeful that we'll see more of that. Um, but I, I'm not going to tell a business what to do other than I would hope that you would see the incredible opportunity to appeal to women. Obviously, women have been and will continue to be the ones making the decisions in the household, whether it's uh, single women, whether it's women who are married, divorced, uh, women uh, who are widowed, whatever it might be. I think it's, you know, the numbers are extraordinary about the consumer decisions made by women. And more and more women are going to say, hey, I want to see a woman playing golf or I want to see a woman playing sports, uh, not just a man. We're seeing that more than ever before. And I am really, really uh, happy to see that, say that some of the things that I, the advancements we're seeing, I don't know that I would have really expected them so soon. And I know a lot of people are saying, what, so soon? But we have been so ingrained uh, with men's sports, which I've covered my whole life. The vast majority of sports I've covered is men's sports, obviously NFL, et cetera. But um, we're, we're getting there and we're getting there pretty quickly. And again, it's that younger generation that I mentioned earlier that's pushing, pushing on on guns, pushing on the abortion issue, pushing on all these other things, whether agree, just whatever you feel. I'm not making a political statement. I'm saying they're there and they're going to be talking about this. And that same kind of thing, that 10-year-old today when she's a 30-year-old with a five-year-old daughter, I think she's going to want her five-year-old daughter to see nothing but women's sports. And she will be making the buying decisions in that in that family uh, in 20 years from now in that little scenario that I just came up with. So so you got those companies need to get with the plan here pretty quickly, I would think. I hope anyway. As one CEO recently told me, and they've made a big commitment to women's golf, he said, not only do I care about equality and care about pay equality and raising this, it's also good for business. And they're doing a lot of functions and involvement with the LPGA and and making a big statement because of it and really making a big difference for the tour in general. Okay, I know you only have a little bit of time, so I want to ask you two more questions away from golf. They're big stories right now, and one of them I, I don't think is getting enough attention, and that's the, the Brittany Griner issue. It's still ongoing. We're almost 100 days she's been in Russia. Why is it not talked about more? Yeah, you know, Lisa, I think um, it has gotten a fair amount of attention. The, the story, obviously, uh, it being the story, Brittany Griner, of course, um, being the focus. Uh, I, I've talked about it quite a bit. Uh, I, I think, and I think it's it's getting more attention. And I think maybe that's maybe the good news there. That uh, I agree with you. When it happened, I was actually in Beijing, and we didn't find out for a couple of weeks. One presumes it was because. Uh, the authorities, the U.S. Uh, was trying to work behind the scenes to resolve it before 
it came out, right? Which makes perfect sense. Uh, back channel, what have you. That didn't work. And of course, at the exact same time that, that she's being arrested for allegedly bringing cannabis into the country, we don't even, obviously, if that's true or not, you know, of course, we have no idea. We can't believe Russia as far, you know, you know anything on any topic ever. I mean, uh, Putin, the awful horrors that he's unleashed uh, in Ukraine, it's just, it's just, you know, it's, it's just reprehensible on every level. Putin, um, you know, uh, one of the great, uh, one of the worst, but, you know, evil villains of our, of any time in history. So, but as that is happening, as he's invading Ukraine, this happens. So, you know, any, any hope for a quick solution clearly went away because now you've got Russia, obviously, and a war that against a sovereign nation that it, that it started to, you know, to attack that country. And so, so that certainly didn't help. Um, I think, but, but over time, I, I really do believe that the story is getting more attention. I agree with you. It has not gotten as much as it should, but it, it, it's, it's gotten more. I remember uh, when we got the news of the reclassification a few weeks ago, um, meaning that she's being, you know, held against her will, that the U.S. can maybe do more to try to, to get her out and not worry about negotiating. Um, that was the lead story on the all news radio on WTOP here in D.C., hour after hour after hour. So I do think it is, it's, it's getting more attention. I know people have said to me, you know, what if it were LeBron James, right, or Steph Curry? Um, you know, I think Putin would have loved to have had, have any U.S. athlete. And I think, frankly, he might have wanted to, you know, be just as tough or not, not willing to negotiate if he had LeBron James. I it's, ridiculous scenario. He doesn't have LeBron James. But but I, I've got to believe, um, of course, that, that would have been nonstop coverage for sure. So that it is different, uh, that it's a woman versus a man. But I but I do think the world knows. And I think U.S. media is doing a better job of covering it. And in fact, the issue involving it, which is that why is she playing in Russia? Why is she there? I mean, when I said LeBron James or Steph Curry, I'm sure people are like, well, why would they be in Russia? You just made my point, folks. Uh, she has to be there because the pay is so low. What we just you just asked me about uh, in the WNBA again. That's a league that is not a national governing body. USA Basketball would pay its men and women the same, and if it doesn't, I'm sure it does um, for bonuses. You know, for gold medals, things like that at the Olympics um, or World Championships. I'm sure that that's the case. But then you throw NBA, WNBA, and of course it's different. The women don't make as much money. I don't make anywhere near the money, the fraction of the money the men make. So then they go overseas to make the really uh, to make quite a bit more money for that time period well into you know over a million dollars I mean, most certainly in Griner in Griner's case so anyway it's um it's a tough one and it's all born of the inequalities that we've been discussing and um obviously Brittany Griner in addition to being a woman and being a female athlete also is black and also is gay and um it throw all that in the mix and it's probably everything that Putin hates right he hates Americans he hates I don't you ever see women around him, you know, I, I don't know if he hates women. I don't know what he is, but there's sure, sure no women leaders, to, you know, talking to him in any of these pictures. Um, he certainly we know he is um, hates you know, gay people because of his anti-gay propaganda law, whatever that meant uh, at the 2014 Sochi Games I covered where he was, uh, you know, obviously cracking down on on homosexual rights at before and during those Olympics. And that's when the great, you know, Ashley Wagner, the figure skater spoke out 
uh, in the U.S. and then on Russian soil against that, among others. Uh, she was leading the way against Putin while she was in Russia. I talk about guts and courage. And so so Putin, it, we know his history. So he's probably like loving it, right, that, that, that mm. he has this, this wonderful athlete and human being uh, who also happens to be gay uh, and black and a woman and an American, you know, that, that he can uh, have her as, and, and keep her captive. Um, I also hope it's going to be resolved soon. We saw the one, uh, you know, a hostage be released. There's uh, another man and then, of course, Brittany Griner. So let's let's hope that it gets resolved soon. And I think, as I said, I'll, I'll, maybe I'm a little too optimistic on this one, but I do think the U.S. media is, and worldwide media is doing a better job now, certainly than they were a few months ago on this very, very important story. Good. And I think that you addressed it well. I mean, I've seen people mention, as you said, what if it was LeBron James? And I appreciate the response. And that's good to hear that it's being covered appropriately, you think. I have seen you speak out about it. I haven't seen as many up until uh, the last couple of days. And hopefully that will continue and we'll get her home. Okay, lastly, it's another issue that you talk about it on social media and it drives folks crazy. It's it's probably more controversial than anything in sports right now. And it's the transgender issue. You go back to Leah Thomas at at Penn and what happened. She didn't end up breaking any records at the NCAA. And Christine, it's one of those things, again, I think that it's a lack of education. I've been reading a lot about it. I recently had a conversation with a transgender golfer. I'm gonna get her on here because she's been undergoing hormone replacement therapy for four plus years. Her swing speed is not close to what would be the fastest on the LPGA tour. There is no reason that she shouldn't compete. When you look at this overall, how do we get past where we are in the controversy in all sports? I was going to say, how much time do we have? And uh, <laughs> obviously, uh, <laughs> I know. You know <laughs> uh, this is a topic, I think, Lisa, that if people are watching, if there's some kind of time capsule and, and they're watching us 50 years from now, they may still be talking about this subject. Um, because, you know, I, what horrifies me about this story is that it's everyone is entrenched black or white, right? And everyone fights with everyone. Um, we know with Leah Thomas that she spent two years taking hormones. And if she had not taken hormones, and of course those were during the pandemic, so she could kind of obviously wasn't getting, you know, she could do this on her terms. And one only imagines how hard this is and, and the mental anguish and, and everything that's that goes with, my, your heart goes out. I am 100% for transgender rights. Uh, and I totally get that these, there must be, who can even imagine, right, what you're going through. Mm. The reason, though, she took hormones and she needed to take hormones is because had she not, then with the testosterone level in her body, she would have tested positive and never been able to compete. So when people are screaming at each other, not you and I, obviously, but in general, and like either so, you know, one way or another, I actually see gray area. And by that, I mean, once you're taking the hormones, where are we on medicine? I, I watch Leah Thomas and I want Leah Thomas to succeed in every way. I also do understand the parents. I don't think they were transphobes. The parents who were watching, Penn parents with their daughters and they were concerned. I, I think that is, you can accept that as a normal conversation. I'm not saying they're right or wrong. But as a journalist looking at the situation, these are not easy issues, right? 
one of the huge problems that comes in is when you get politicians involved and they pronounce something and have a state law. And you're talking, I think it was the Utah governor that vetoed that, right? I think it was what, four? He said there are four transgender athletes we're talking about. And so we're not going to have a law. I think everyone needs to take a step back and be human. Understand those who are aren't quite where you are and know that they're not terrible people. Because that is the thing that bothers me the most is the vitriol over something that everyone is working through. Trans athletes, most important, as they work through a very, very difficult time in their lives, but also those who are part of a team where it may affect them. I understand that. I don't think that is a terrible thing, uh, as I said, to start to have to work through. Where the Leah Thomas story takes us, and of course she did with one NCAA title, and she and then others she did not do as well as expected. Uh, obviously the pressure must have been enormous, and there were lots and lots again of issues. All people, uh, all sides, the, uh, you know, it, it's just it's tough, right? It's a tough it's a tough situation yeah. for everyone. Um, I'm hopeful that every single one of those people that was working their way through it also believes completely in transgender right. We have the other issue, of course, of women's sports has been a, for lack of a better word, protected class. So understandably, right, we want women's sports to be able to thrive as women's sports. That doesn't mean you don't want transgender athletes, but it means there is that conversation we have had over the years about strength, size, muscles, everything, men versus women. Obviously, again, Leah is a woman 100%. Um, So I think moving forward, as tough as this was for Leah Thomas and for everyone involved, my heart goes out, as I said, especially to Leah, I think moving forward where there are experts and people working their way through issues that are human and are meaningful and are important and we all care about, in the midst of the screaming, of everyone screaming at each other, and work our way through, as I said, you're already taking hormones, should where, do, where are we at the right place with hormones? Get the medical people involved. Make sure that you are dealing with everyone fairly, the transgender athlete, and those athletes competing against her or him in the case of a transgender male. Um, and I also think the scare tactics, Donald Trump getting involved, we're protecting women's sports. That was terrible. Fox News getting involved. This We're protecting, they don't care about women's sports. They just see a wedge issue that they want to have voters get all upset about. Stop it. These are people's lives. There are medical conversations to be had. And I hope I, when I'm saying this, no one's saying, oh, she's against transgender athletes. I am not. I do think that there are very important issues moving forward in the way we handle this so that we look out for especially those wonderful people who are going through such a tough time in their lives, but still want to compete in sports. And I hope I've given some kind of answer that um, is... I, I do think we are in a really interesting and important time and we have to be human and, and not um, political and understand that there are people who are adjusting and getting used to this and it affects everyone's life. Most of all, again, these transgender athletes who've gone through so much and should be welcome in sports. 
Well, I think your opinion from the human side is what matters most, and you're exactly right. There need to be more studies. There needs to be more education. We still have a lot to learn about it, and these studies are just underway. We may not have answers for five or ten years. Christine Brennan, I could talk to you all day long, and you have been gracious with your time. For that, I thank you. And really, I just want to say thank you, not just for being a friend and a mentor to me, uh, but you're an advocate, and you do it with facts. You do it with heart. And... Look, people may not like you, but they better respect you because you bring it every single time. And um, I'm just, I'm grateful to know you and I thank you for everything that you've done for me and for all women and for all people, humans. Well, thank you, Lisa. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having this podcast, having me on and all you've done and how you've spoken out as well. And of course, I know you're a much better golfer than I am. <laughs> so there's that too. That's very important. Uh, no way. <laughs> but oh no, oh definitely. There I no, you are you you yes, you are very good. I am not very good, but I love the game. Um, but thank you. And uh, uh, let's let's talk again and I I'm certainly here and anyone who's watching who wants to deal with any of these, you know, talk to more about any of this or especially young women or young men who are interested in um, in journalism. I have a website is just my name.com and I have a student tab there and there's some embedded videos that can give you some uh, information and help and ideas for potentially for your career um, as well as uh, anything else you might want to talk about. I can be, uh, there's a contact uh, uh, easy form as well for me on that, on that website, which is just christinebrennan.com. <laughs>